for a lot of people, half marathon, 5K marathon, they're major life accomplishments. And we have a responsibility as race directors and race organizers to give them the best experience we can. You are listening to the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. We hope you'll take us on a run as you listen in to the conversation with our guests. We'll be checking in periodically to let you know how long the episode and you have been running and to share a few encouraging words to keep you listening and moving. All our episodes are made to educate, entertain, and inspire you with experienced guests, sound effects, and deep thoughts about running and life. Okay, now if you're ready to put down some miles, lace up and let's go. The clock starts now. Hey guys, welcome to season two of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. This season, we're doing things a little bit differently, and this is episode two, so thanks to everyone who listened to the first episode with Dr. Aaron Bagish. Um, Today on the episode, we are going to be talking to Greg Weber. He is the race director for the Buffalo Marathon, and I had a really good time talking to him about all things behind the scenes. Um, and we actually, her conversation lasted over three days and I had four hours of content, which is why it's taken me a little bit longer to get this episode out. But I think you're really going to enjoy learning about all the ins and outs of the marathon, especially those of you who are getting ready to run your fall races. So let's get started. Today we're speaking with Greg Weber. He is the race director for the Buffalo Marathon, a race known for its convenient location, fast course, and iconic medals and awards. I cannot wait to interrogate Greg about the massive role race directors play in our sport, why he is passionate about what he does, and how he believes running can help. Well, thanks for having me. I I consider myself very lucky. I'm, I'm from talking to you. I'm your first person who's been in charge of a race for one of your podcasts so um, you know truth be told I'm the race director and executive director of the race but when it comes to the weekend and I make no bones about this I have nothing to do on the weekend I really don't my job is to handle the media and the contracts and the athletes I have my best friend who I do this race with who is my operations director and he's responsible for all things road cones and barricades and porta potties and moving them around. So he and I make a great team. So I get to have a lot of fun on race on race weekend, like talking to people like you. Well, thanks. All right, guys, get used to hearing the name Rich. That is Greg's best friend and the race operator that he references in that last clip. You'll be hearing a lot more about him throughout this episode. Um, have you guys, you and your race operator, have you guys been working together for a long time? It's it's been a long time we've been working together on this race. I've been involved with this race since 2008, and it's interesting. I've done volunteer stints. I used to teach CPR and first aid. I was a wish granter for Make-A-Wish. Both of those things I did for about 10 years. It seems to be my volunteer lifespan, but this I'm going on 14 years now, and I plan to take it a while longer. And you have such good feedback from your race. Like I even went do you, I don't know if you go on to uh, bib rave or race raves and look at the reviews. Do you go back and do that? 
I go back and I look at I look at race rave. I haven't looked at bib rave, bib rave now. I do I do look at them and I take them to heart. I take criticism to heart. Um, we, in all honesty, we get a lot of accolades about our events and what we produce. But whenever I run into people, I always ask them to think about it for a couple of weeks and then email me with something that they would change or something that they would improve. I like the fact that people will tell us we're doing a great job, but I would rather have them tell me the porta potties were facing the wrong way at the relay stop. <laughs> Right. Stuff we're not going to see. Right. And, right. But we can't fix it if people don't tell us. Yeah. So and trust me, there's no shortage of people who will tell us what they think. So <laughs> no doubt. Um, you need kind of a thick skin. No doubt. You know, I took over and I'm very lucky to be. It's not my race. It's I'm the steward of this race. That's all I am. And I have a committee that will die for me. They'll do anything I ask. And they all take very great pride in in what they want to produce and that's my challenge to them just make it insanely great hey guys i want to pause right here because september is childhood cancer awareness month and i'm gonna ask greg a little bit more about his time at make a wish foundation but if you're unfamiliar with the organization it grants uh wishes to children who have critical illnesses between the age of two and a half and 18 years old. So go check them out. Um, and if you feel inspired to do so, please make a donation because like I said, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and it is a cause that is very worthy. Uh, Make-A-Wish, I, I, was, I was the person who interacted with the families and met the child and got to ask them what they wanted for their wish and then helped see that process through. Um, and whether they wanted to go to Disney or I had kids who wanted to go whale watching and go to the Mall of America, um, all really strong kids. And it was a great time in my life because I really liked it. I helped run a local radiothon here that we used to raise money and I automated that with programming, but interacting with the kids was incredible. What is, what would you say is like your favorite part of directing the race? My favorite part of directing the race is watching it all come together and watching the people that for, I guess you could say the people that work for me achieve what they want to in their areas and them making it a big success. I mean, watching it all come together is, is definitely the, it's definitely the, the best. What is the process? Like, when does this all start? Like, is, are you starting planning this? Like, is it a year, like in advance? Is that? The, the starting and this, the starting for this planning happens before the gun goes off for the current year. It's a, it is, it is nonstop. It is continual when you think about it. And again, it does not start. It doesn't just start, right? You have to think about it. And a lot of things fall into place where we've done it before, but we want to open registration up days after the last runner crosses the line. Right. And in order to do that, we have to have the website set. We have to have registration set. We have to have pricing set. So we have to know everything that we're going to do through the course of the next year when we open registration. 
And normally we open it up the next day after the race. And this year we chose to open it up on June 1st, three or four days afterwards, only to give the timer and the guy who was setting up the registration a little chance to breathe. So we wanted to give them a few days, but we wanted to we want to take care of that euphoria that, you know, all those runners who are ready to register just because they have that runner's high. We don't yeah. want to lose that opportunity to grab those runners. Do you get nervous before during the race weekend or are you just by that time? Or are you just like it is what it is? And it is a very that's a great question. It is a very stressful. It is a very stressful weekend. It is a very stressful weekend, more so for Rich than for me. But our goal, and and we're we are uber focused on this, is everybody that shows up, we want to, besides having a great experience, we want them to go home. We want them to go home safe and healthy and be safe. We want, we pride ourselves in the safety of the race course. And it is very stressful when you send, whether you're sending 500 people or 5,000 people or 25,000 people, at the end of the day, even though Rich is the operations director, I'm the executive director of the organization, I am responsible for all of those people. And I'm not only responsible for those people, I'm responsible for all the spectators they brought with them. So our race at 5,000 people, if there's two or three people with every athlete, we have 20,000 people that we're responsible for the safety of. And it wears on you mm. when you do things. And I am very fortunate that we have a great relationship with our local law enforcement, the local FBI. They, we work very closely with them. And there are things that they do to keep people safe that people will never see. And they just don't understand how hard people are working to make sure that everybody is safe. But generally, the last week of the race, the week leading up to the race, I don't sleep. Rich is, you know, Rich gets some sleep, but Rich's crew is out at 2 a.m. While a lot of people are just trying to get to sleep, trying to get ready. I mean, it's not a, this is the first year in six or seven years I was not walking the start and finish line at 2 a.m. in the morning. Normally, I'm up and out because I can't sleep. But a lot of it has to do to make sure is everything in place. Because at the end of the day, by the time we've gotten to this, I've relinquished all. There's nothing I can do, right? Everything is in the control of other people and making sure that they execute. And I'm very lucky that everybody takes a lot of pride in that. People, you know, it comes, I mean, Rich is very safety conscious. We all are. Everybody, it's what they think of. and. I mean, we had, we don't talk about the details very much, but we had an incident years ago and we talked about it a little at our VIP party, but we had an incident at the start of the race, 20 or 30 minutes before the race. And there was a question whether we should send 7,000 people home or send them out onto the, the course or not. And after a lot of deliberation with the FBI and local police, we chose to let the race go on. But it was a long day. Mm. <laughs> it was a really, really long day. And it's always a long day. We had somebody who went into cardiac arrest. And that was a long day, right? When somebody gets transported to the hospital. And when you see, you know, when you see the last runner across the finish line and they're 
jubilant in their celebration and yet you know you transported two or three or four or ten people whatever the case may be to the hospital i go home and i start calling the hospital right and i will follow up and um i went we did have a man who went into cardiac arrest and one of your questions was what's your most memorable experience we had a guy go into cardiac arrest at mile 18 and this was before the aid stations we have in place and he was very fortunate in there was a a spectator behind him from syracuse who was an icu nurse and she was there because she was hurt and she couldn't run with vermont and she had gotten to mile 18 of the race course which is up in delaware park if you remember delaware park where you ran and you run up a small hill and her friend had gone by and she turned to come back downtown and this guy went down in front of her oh. and he was like 28 or 29. she did cpr on him for nine minutes before the rig arrived he was dead oh my god and he they came they shocked him back and i went to see him in the hospital and he was in the hospital for three or four days he came back the following year and ran a 320. holy shit he had run eight or nine marathons. There was nothing. They never found anything wrong with him. They put a pacemaker in, his, in him and a defibula, one of those portable defibrillators, or they put it under his skin, and they don't know what was wrong with him. But he would be dead if it wasn't for that nurse from Syracuse. Wow. So, and that that's, was a long day. Wow. That's and a Rich, lot. Rich saw, it, Rich saw it in my face that day, and he said, listen, relax. He said, he is in the, he is in the ambulance. He is on the way to the hospital. He is alive. He is where he should be at this point. And I said, Rich, he was dead, right? We haven't had anybody die. And probability says one in 100,000 people that do a marathon will die. So it's gonna happen, whether it's my race or somebody else's race, it's going to happen. Is it gonna be you? Is it gonna be me? I don't know. This guy was healthy, could be anybody. So that was stressful. All right, guys, we're about 15 minutes in. Nice, uh, nice run today. It is thick out where I am. I woke up, it was one of those days where you could see the humidity, but um, luckily I have easy miles. So I hope your run's going great and let's keep going. Hey guys, welcome back. So we've heard some of the concerns that race directors like Greg have during race weekend and some of the scary stories like runners going into cardiac arrest. Now let's hear about the medical teams they put in place to keep us safe. I would put our medical up against any race in the country. We have trained nurses and doctors at every aid station. Now, they all have AEDs. All 18 or 19 aid stations on the course have four nurses or doctors. Of those four nurses or doctors, at least two of them have to be able to run a mile. And the reason being is on the front side of the course, the aid stations are two miles apart. And the nurse who is the chief nursing officer at the hospital has determined that if somebody goes down, I'm gonna have two people I can send to them with go bags because they will get there faster than an ambulance will. But we, for the first time this year, had somebody go down in the finish line and had to send in a stretcher. Mm. First time we had to send a stretcher into the finish chute. 
hmm. in seven years that I've been in charge. We've helped a lot of people across the finish line, sure. sent wheelchairs, but this time we had probably seven or eight doctors and a, a guy who was 62 years old passed out 25 feet from the line. Now, why did he choose to pass out 25 feet from the line? I don't know, but he passed out in the right spot other than he busted his face, Jeez. broke his eye a bit, oh. and um, Fitz thought he had expired. I just wanted to note real quick that Fitz is Fitz Kohler. She is the race announcer for the Buffalo Marathon, and she serves as a race announcer for some of the largest and most prestigious endurance events in America. She is awesome to be around, and she's so much fun. She was actually on episode 14 of the podcast talking about her noisy cancer comeback. So um, just wanted to give a brief shout out to Fitz and um, let you guys know who she is. And I called him two or three times. He was in the hospital for three days. Um, doesn't know why he passed out. He was 62. His last marathon at 58 was a 308. Mm. Wow. So four years ago, he went 308. Four years later, he passed out 25 feet across before the line. Dang. After hearing some of the concerns race directors have for athletes during a race, I wanted to specifically know about whether conditions and how they react to specifically heat uh, on a race day. So let's check in on that. Heat is a great question. We never had a heat plan, I think, until 2016. It was 16 or 17. I can't remember what year it was. It got ungodly hot. Um, Vermont, I think, canceled I think Vermont canceled before the race and Ottawa, which is the same weekend, canceled during the race. We didn't have a flag system in place, a colored flag system for temperatures. We didn't have wet bulb thermometers. We didn't have a heat plan. Well, I called Rich four weeks before the race or whatever, and I said, we need an ice plan. And he said, well, wait, the weather's going to change. And then it kept getting hotter and it got to be two, two weeks before the race. And I said, the time for an ice plan? And he said, yeah, I'm working on it. But at that point, I'm very lucky where part of my job is to network with other race directors. You know, that's one of the things I'm very good with. And uh, my go-to race director is Dave McGilbray of Boston. If I have a question, if I have a problem, and he knows I had never directed a race and he's been like a mentor to me, I will call him and I will bounce ideas off him. So we had a heat problem one year and it was bearing down on us and it was going to be hot. And I called Xavier in Miami because they have to deal with heat. Mm. I called Casey in Chicago because Chicago has had their battle with heat. And we took the best elements of Miami and, and Chicago, like Chicago uses cooling buses. They actually use cooling and heating buses depending upon the temperature. But when it's hot, we will deploy vans at all of our aid stations that have the air conditioning room. If somebody has to cool down, people can get into the van. And that's from Chicago. And the last thing I did on that weekend was I talked to Dave McGilvray, and I'll never forget it. He said, remind the people that it is not a PR day, that you know, there are 20 of you and 5,000 of them, and we can do everything we can, but we cannot control how you are going to react to this. And that day, 
97.3% of the people that crossed the start line made it to the finish line. Wow. And it was hot. Mm. And everybody we had engaged, the city, we had sprinklers out, the fire department was out with hydrants open. <laughs> it was a community event and there wasn't an athlete that didn't have eyes on them for 26 miles, whether it was a spectator, an aid person, a resident, everybody was safe. And we didn't send, I don't think we sent anybody to the hospital that day. People listened, right? They, they listened to the message and it was the last message. Fitz was not the race announcer that year. I was on the mic and it was the last message we gave them. We gave it to them in text messaging. We gave it to them at the start line and everybody listened. And you know what? A lot of people PR'd that day. Wow. For whatever I reason. Never <laughs> Some people like the heat. But um, but I mean, first of all, like I feel like I need to thank you for everything you do, but for like also letting people know what race directors do. I think this is I think it's important for you. I've I've never interviewed a race director before, but I think this is really important for people to realize what stuff you guys are doing behind the scenes and how hard you're working, because I certainly never thought about it like that before. Um, yeah, a couple, of years, a couple of years ago, something that had never happened to us, they were predicting lightning. And we have, I have the telephone number to our local weather state, our local weather area in the airport. I don't go by AccuWeather on television. I call the weather station and talk to them weeks before and we get the plans and they were predicting lightning. We didn't have a lightning plan. We had never been approached with lightning. Well, we put a lightning plan together in seven days and we had contacted facilities all around town so that there was shelter in place locations. Because the last thing you want to do is have, what do you do with, in our case, again, it's only 5,000 people, but how do you get 5,000 people back to the start line if that happens, right? If lightning hits and um, we had shelter-in-place locations all over town, churches, stores that were ready to open their doors to the athletes if if the case arose that we had to cancel the race. So I never even I or I have thought about lightning before, but not I was I've never had a race that had lightning come in to like play. So to think about the fact that yeah, how would you get people back to the start? Well, you have to think about how you get back people back to the start. And I had a race canceled that I was going to run in Disney in 17 because of lightning. What people don't realize is you wake up in the morning and there may not be any lightning. That's the first problem, right? You wake up to go to the race and there's no lightning, but they canceled the race because of lightning. We start setting up at 3 a.m. If there's lightning at 3 a.m., we're not going to put our volunteers and our staff out there and risk their safety. So mm -hmm. what the runners see at 8 may not have been the consequence of the. It's a consequence of a decision we may have made four hours earlier to keep people safe. And the runners don't necessarily understand that. Yeah. They and just see blue skies and say, why aren't we running? Uh, that's so tough, though, because I'm sure you get a lot of kickback when situations happen like that from from the runners, which I mean, that's which is it, which 
leads me into COVID because so many people were upset about racist canceling for COVID. So what was that like trying to decide whether to have uh, a race or not? Much. Um, so COVID, COVID was a very interesting situation for everybody. Our race, it was in May. And again, my operations director, Rich, called me in early January and said, have you seen this thing in Wuhan? And I said, no, what are you talking about? We started looking at COVID before, we were looking at COVID in the first couple of weeks of January. And, wow. and it's hard to imagine now when you think back, nobody knew what COVID was at that point. So wow. we were sitting, we were sitting looking at this and we did not have race cancellation insurance at that point. And we missed getting cancellation insurance by a day. And that's not an exaggeration. We missed it by a day because some other companies were dragging their feet, which would have refunded everybody their money. And then COVID started to wow. accelerate. And on, I think it was March 23rd, we started communicating. We at Buffalo pride ourselves on our communication with our athletes, always, whether it was the heat or the lightning, in this case, COVID, we're constantly sending emails. We send text messages. We don't use texting as a marketing mechanism. We use it as a messaging system. And we were communicating with people and said, we will let you know as we know things. And the runners, the runners rallied to it. And we were one of the first major races in the country to postpone. Hmm. And it was a tough decision. I postponed in in on March 23rd and Fitz, our announcer, had already had a couple races cancel. And she was pretty adamant with me that I should I postponed too early, as a lot of runners were. And hindsight being 2020, you know, I made the right call. And I'm gonna say I at this point, because while we consulted with everybody, you know, again, it, it's when you're the person at leading the organization, it's ultimately your call at the end of the day, while it may be a group consultation, you're the face of the race and you're the one who has to make the call and you have to do what's in the best interest of everybody involved. So at, um, at that point was the best, the best call we could make. Right. Which is obviously like a really tough call. Cause you know, you've got people who registered who have made travel plans. Cause this was March and your race is in May, right? You, that's when you decided in March to cancel. We decided in and we postponed. We never Post canceled. Oh, okay. You we, postponed it. We postponed, you know, marketing is a funny thing, right? We postponed. Yeah. We never canceled the race. We said yeah. we are gonna postpone and we put out there. And if you go back and you read message board threads on other races, and I won't name them, there were races that got hammered. We came out very early, we came out the day we postponed and said listen, if you can't come next year, we are going to allow you to defer not only to 21, but to 22, to 23, to 24. Mm -hmm. We want you at the start line. You can defer at no cost. Right. Okay. So um, we allowed people to defer and we gave them that because we had a lot of people asking for refunds. Right. And we haven't, we like other races have a no refund policy. And what, again, when you and I talk and as you start to learn what's involved, you know, we had purchased 20th, it was our 20th anniversary. Oh, we, had wow. purchased, we had purchased jackets for everybody this year. Oh my gosh. That year. And we had jackets for the full, the half and the 5k. 
And we had invested somewhere around $75,000 in jackets. Dang. And we were fortunate that we were able to recover some of that because they were just going to print when we postponed and oh, we were wow. able to change the thing that, cause it was in 2020, our 20th anniversary. And we were able to change the year to a 20th from a year. So we were able to reuse the jackets when we got to the 20th anniversary, but the metals were already in production and we had, a, we had to scrap them all. Oh, and the metals oh. cost the metals. I think the metals cost us 10 or $15,000 at that point that we just had to throw away. Cause I would never give somebody a medal from 2020 and 2021. I would never do that. I wouldn't want it. Why would I give it to somebody? 30 minutes in. A uh, couple of reminders. Uh, loosen up. Check your face. Make sure it's nice and relaxed. Your arms, shake them out. Uh, one of my favorite things to do down a hill is just loosen my shoulders, my arms, let everything just kind of flop around for a minute um, just to shake it out. All right, let's keep going. So we were just talking about all the planning and costs that go into a race and I'm fascinated. It's stuff I never really thought about. Um, you know, I've deferred races before. I've definitely emailed race directors to be like, hey, I missed the deadline. Can I get in? And I never thought about all the things that go into it. And while I find race directors to be pretty accommodating, I realize how difficult it can be to, um, you know, accommodate these special requests. So let's keep listening. You know, we have to place orders in January, you know, so 50% of our people don't register until May. So we have to use statistics to project mm. what we are going to order and how many we're going to have. I've sold the race out and people say, you have plenty of room. And I'm like, I do not have medals and shirts for people. And they're like, well, order more. I'm like, well, that's not the way this works. We, this year, uh, we changed our metals are now produced by Ashworth Awards. They're made in the USA. They're made in Massachusetts. And I can place my final op order on April 1st, still 60 days out from the race. So I have to guess, and we always have leftovers. We always have waste oh, that's that we have, but, but my waste is a lot less. And this mm -hmm. year we made a very hard decision. And again, I'm going to say, I, I very rarely use the word I, but I made a decision after consulting with the board and Rich that I was going to take away the shirts and replace them with Turvis tumblers because Turvis would allow me to place an order in April and they were they were produced in the United States uh, or decorated in the United States and they were they could guarantee delivery and this is during supply chain problems when races were not getting their medals in their shirts. And the last thing we wanted to be in was in a situation where people were not getting their shirts or their medals and we would have to ship them to them. So if you look at shipping costs and fulfillment costs for 5,000 people, it starts to add up. But yeah, I mean, I think that's things people don't, don't think about, but you were thinking about them being like, I don't want you to go home without a shirt or have to mail it to you. So this was like the better choice of doing it. So, right. And I would never give being an athlete myself and my, most of my staff and committee members are athletes or were athletes at one point. I would never give somebody something that I wouldn't want myself. 
right? right. So it's always one of the hardest things to do for the race. And, you know, in my position is to pick what we're going to give away for swag, to pick, to work on the metal design, to work and make it unique and make it different and make it worthwhile for people because the Buffalo has become iconic for people, right? One year we went away from a Buffalo and mm. we got, re- oh yeah, it was tough. <laughs> my marketing director wanted to go away from it. And I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And it ended up not being a good idea. And we'll <laughs> never do it again. Uh, the Buffalo is very, is, it's who we are. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. And COVID didn't make it easier because we weren't sure how many people were going to show up. We weren't sure how many people were going to register. And at the end of the day, the race has to remain fiscally viable. Right. I mean, it's we may we're a not for profit. We're not a for profit. I mean, this is my full time hobby. We my job is to make sure we have enough money to put the race on safely and make sure we survive to next year. And getting us through covid was it was a battle. I was very lucky. The entire organization was very lucky. Our sponsors stood behind us through it. And we were the first race back in New York State, the first mass start race back in New York state. And they lifted the COVID guidelines on us nine days before we held the race in 2021. Wow. So that was risky then, right? Uh, we had a whole COVID protocol, just like the heat protocol we had put in place. Uh, we had starting grids. We were keeping people socially distanced and nine days before the race, governor Cuomo said, you're good to go. And I called, we had worked with the governor's office up to that point to gain approval. And anybody who had followed the thread knew what was going on. And even the race director from New York, when I, when I met him this year was like, he hugged me because he knew that when we got approval, he was next. And it wasn't a huge start. We only had like 400 people in our 5k and maybe 1500 people in the full, which was 20%. But as races went after 18 months, it was huge, right? It was a huge start. And we took a race where we had all these COVID protocols in place and they said, you can go. And I called the governor's office and I said, I want to understand, I can hold this race like it's 2019 and COVID doesn't exist. And they said, yes. And then my operations director unraveled all the COVID plans and put back a normal start race and made it as normal as it could be for people. And there were still people, there were people this year that were, are still afraid. Yeah. You know, we, we had people this year that were afraid for COVID. We had people, unfortunately, because of the tragic events that happened on May 14th year in tops markets, yeah. we had people who didn't want to come because of the shooting. Mm, yeah. And, and that was yet another thing that we had to manage through for 14 days as to whether we were going to be able to hold the event or not. Again, because safety is paramount, right? We will never risk safety for the event. As many of us remember in May, there was a tragedy at the Tops grocery store in Buffalo. Um, an 18 year old gunman, uh, carried out a racist attack in a predominantly black neighborhood and claimed the lives of 10 people and injured three others. I didn't want to move on with the podcast before um, paying some respect to the families of the victims and the community. Um, 
our thoughts and hearts go out to everyone that was impacted by this event. After the COVID, that first race back, what was the like feel there? I mean, did you, I mean, I knew my first race back, it was like kind of emotional because it was like, we missed it so much in the community. Did you have that feeling there? It was, it was very emotional. It, it was good to see people back, even if we were, even if we were back as a mass start, but we weren't doing things inside. It was a fabulous experience and the athletes rallied. And through COVID, we ended up giving back like $300,000 to the local charities that rely on the race. They all rallied, right? People continued to support us. So it was, it really was a community effort. And I believe a lot goes back to our communication with the athletes and keeping them informed. Yeah. When we came back from COVID and we were looking at it, we told them our plan we told them our plan from the get-go. We said, we are going to hold the race on Memorial Day weekend. If for some reason we cannot hold the race, we are going to let you know by April 15th. I'm not sure if that was the exact date. Yeah. And if we don't, if we can't hold the race on Memorial Day weekend, our next date will be June 27th. And if we can't hold, and we will let you know by June 1st, whether we're going on June 27th. And if we can't do that, it will be at the end of August. And if we can't do the end of August, that's the drop dead date. We're done. And we will go to 2022. And the athletes appreciated it, right? They could plan. They could look at their schedules. They could plan. They could figure out what was going on. And we stuck to that schedule and we made the, we couldn't make the May date. It just was not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, there was too much stuff going on and we were able to make the June date. Mm-hmm. And we had people run virtually. We had people defer you know, and we had people run. Yeah. So we had all three, we had all three populations of people. And at the end of the day, the runners rallied and they ran, they ran virtually. And then this year they came back and they celebrated. So it was wonderful. Yeah. And so listening to, to you talk and how important the athletes experiences and everything like that, why is it so important to you? Like, is it because you know what it's like to be an athlete and how much these races mean to people? Like what, what is it that inspires you to make sure that we have a great experience? I, I have experienced my, my goal was always to do Ironman. I knew what it was like to cross the finish line and have Mike Riley call your name that you were an Ironman. And it's as much about the journey, as you well know, in the training, as it is to toe the line on race day and get to the finish line. For a lot of people, half marathon, 5K marathon, they're major life accomplishments. And we have a responsibility as race directors and race organizers to give them the best experience we can. Anybody can go out on Saturday morning and run 13.1 miles or a 5k. They don't need us to put up a start arch and a finish arch, but it's the pomp and circumstance of the event that makes it special. People go out, you know, here I'm in Buffalo, right? You have to train 18 weeks out. They're out in the snow, in the wind, in the rain, 
<laughs> you know, the first nice weather is generally Memorial Day. <laughs> and they come out and they're there to accomplish a goal. And to stand at the finish line and watch somebody cross, whether it is in two hours and 15 minutes and they set a course record, or it's in six hours and they cross right before we finish, right before we close the course. They're all special to us. Everyone, every person is individual and unique. And when people will call us and say, do you adhere to the six hour cutoff? We'll tell them if you're doing the half or whatever in the, and the last vehicle passes you, we will ask you to go to the sidewalk for safety. We have a responsibility to the city besides the athletes to get the city back open again. Mm -hmm. And we will ask them to go. And it's at the end of the day, it's the athlete's responsibility to know the course, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most people have gone out there and run their 13 miles. They should be able to get through it. Yeah. And I said, we'll be waiting for you. And I can tell you at 1230, when the course closes, the timers will not stop timing. They will keep a watch running. And in a lot of cases, they'll get the people entered into the results, whether they crossed at 630 or seven hours. And we've had people cross at seven and a half hours. We had a woman cross and we will give them their medals and we will celebrate the crew that's there cleaning up. The last spectator has long gone home. <laughs> this year, this year we had a woman run and I can't remember what her time was. And I wasn't even there when she finished. I was elsewhere, but our volunteer director was out on the course and stayed with her on the bike. A oh. friend was with her. But the, the true testament was the paramedic that was out at the last aid station or the second to last aid station said, you're going to finish mm. and I'm going to go with you the entire way. And this paramedic ran with her in their full outfit in work boots for two miles Stop. and they finished and she got her medal and you know, we took her picture and she got the celebration. I mean, there weren't a thousand people there, but there were a lot of people there cheering her. I mean, my operations director took a woman one year back to her hotel room and we didn't, at that point, everything was gone. She didn't get her medal. And, but I went out and I found the truck and I got her medal and I took it back to the hotel that night. She was out to dinner and the person at the front desk gave her her medal when she came back through the door. That's all. So it is about the athlete and it is about their accomplishment. It doesn't matter whether, like I said, whether they finish in three hours or six hours. It's an amazing experience to watch it all unfold. Jeez, that's so cool. That's so awesome. So talking about the community, um, this is something I wanted to ask about when we were talking a little bit about the heat and stuff like that. Cause the community does come out and like, they'll have hoses and stuff like that. Do you work with, I, I mean, obviously there's people named the oranges and stuff like that, but you guys don't have anything to do with that. That's just the people of Buffalo, like coming out and doing their own thing. Right. That is, that is the people of Buffalo. I mean, when I first started in 08, the course seemed to change every year because of construction. The course has been pretty consistent now for about eight, nine years. So the neighbors have adopted it. And the best example I can tell you is when I did water, when I first started, I was sweeping the course and I came upon four little kids out around mile 18. And I'm sure when you ran the full, you ran by them. And here were these four little kids with their own little water stop set up. 
yeah. oranges, Gatorade. And I was like, this is incredible. And I stopped and I talked to them and I talked to their parents. I said, you know what? If the kids want to do this, let me know. I will bring them back Gatorade cups. You don't need to pay for any of it. I think this is incredible. I brought them all back volunteer shirts. Aww. Well, I have not been back to that water stop on Middlesex since that time because I've moved on. But what I've been told, and I've talked to people on Middlesex, those four kids and that father, this has grown into a block party <laughs> for that entire neighborhood. And they bring watermelons and they get it all together. And so it's become an event for them. I heard there were shots, one group that was doing whiskey shots somewhere on the course. I don't know. I didn't sanction that, right? <laughs> but somebody was out there handing out whiskey. So yeah, the, the neighborhood and the communities have adopted it. Not everybody. Yeah. Not everybody in the not everybody in the city loves the race. There are a lot of people who don't like it. Generally, the people trying to get to church okay. don't. Yeah, they don't particularly. They're not particularly fond of us. But you know, uh, um, somebody told me once when I first took over, and I was at an off. I was in a meeting with the mayor, and he looked at the mayor and he said, "Mr. Mayor, every great city has a marathon. We have ours, and it happens on Memorial Day weekend." All right, guys, 45 minutes in. Don't forget to hydrate. Some of you might almost be done. I'm gonna keep going. I got uh, about halfway there, so. All right, guys, see you at the end. So I think we left off talking about the amazing community of Buffalo. And next, we're gonna actually circle back to the tragic shooting at Tops. Uh, it. It is, a, it is a great race and it's a great community. And speaking of community, you know, what happened at, you know, in Buffalo at Tops was just a horrible tragedy. And for it to happen so close to the race and everything, I mean, that must have been a really difficult uh, circumstance for, you know, how did that impact your planning because you guys did such an amazing job at the start like honoring the victims and everything so can you tell me a little bit about what went into that and I mean because that had to be kind of a last minute thing that you decided to do to honor them well it it was it was a tragedy and it it will always be a tragedy and a stain a stain on our community or you know it'll be a hole in our hearts um the the local store tops that it occurred at tops is a major sponsor of ours and I was on the phone with their community relations vice president two hours after it happened. And all I asked her was, what can we do to help? Mm -hmm. How can we help the community? And then I texted her the next day and I texted her the next day. And it was like, this was before a lot of the community had rallied, right? And as I said, I think I said to you earlier, I was in Boston when the bombs went off. Yeah. And when I was in Boston, when the bombs went off, my girlfriend at that point had crossed the finish line 90 seconds before the bombs oh. went off. Oh my I was at the finish line. Wow. So I was in charge of the finish line of Buffalo when, when that happened. And I had to come back and, and I was responsible in part for all of their safety at that point. And now two weeks out we have the top shooting and it was a mile from the course yeah and 
it was tragic and we were on the phone with the police and the police said to us you know on monday after it settled yeah it didn't even settle down at that point i had just reached out to the captain that we work with and he said listen we know the race is coming our manpower is taxed mm. we don't want you to cancel the race yet and i called rich and I told him that. And then I talked to Rich a few days later and I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'm not sleeping. And I said, why? He goes, the word yet will not leave my mind. We yeah. were not sure if the city was going to ask us to cancel the race the day before, two days before. But to Top's credit and the CEO of Top's ran the relay, the manager of the store where the shooting occurred ran the relay wow they wanted the race to go on they wanted the race to be there for the people that had trained for 18 weeks they wanted it to not be a solemn occurrence they wanted it to be a celebration for those people but yet we wanted to be respectful for the people that lost their lives right and we were able to find a balance that we think worked really well. And, you know, we gave out 7,500 red ribbons for everybody to wear. Mm. We held a food drive. That was the idea of a runner who emailed me. Again, you asked me where my ideas come from. They're not all my ideas. You know, sometimes somebody says, suggests something and I'm like, that seems like a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. And she she emailed me and she said, you should do a food drive. What about ribbons? And I was like, okay, well, you know, so I said, let me see if I like making things happen. And yeah. I said, let's see if I can figure out where to source 7,500 red ribbons in say 24 hours. Cause I have to get them here. Um, and then I called her up, I called Rich and I said, what do you think about a food drive? And he said, I think a food drive is a great idea if I don't have to manage it. I have enough to do. And I didn't want to tax our volunteers because volunteers were a challenge. This woman came with her school students and staffed the food drive. Wow. She agreed. And then I asked her this year, I said, do you want to do it again next year? And she said she was going to come back next year. And now a food drive is going to be part of our expo just because it worked real well. And we think it's good for the community. So that's how things happen, but it was a community rallying. It wasn't my idea. It was, it was her idea. I was just, I just took it as a catalyst and, and kind of put the pieces together and was able to make it happen for everybody. So, and it worked well, you know, we collected over 23,000, we collected about 12 or 13,000 pounds of food from the runners and then Tops and the other sponsors donated the leftover Gatorade and water. And then we had about a thousand boxes of non-perishable grab and go boxes we were giving to the runners that we were able to donate. So it came up to be about 23,000 pounds, which worked out to be about 19,000 meals that we generated just because a runner sent us an email. Oh, man. <laughs> and if you I can't, I need... If that kind of stuff is just phenomenal to me. And then the runners rallied, right? We had people carrying and coming with, it was incredible to watch. 
I mean, it, it was just incredible. It was a tragic, tragic event. And people are still reeling from it. And we're still trying to figure out what we can do to help the community. Um, one of our aid stations is staffed by Yogis in Service, a group here. And we have been supporting them for years. And they are one of our name not-for-profits. And we will, I have the check sitting on my desk right now. And it will provide, the way they work it is, it pays for the yogis to go over and provide two free yoga sessions at the community center, which I think is a mile and a half from where the shooting was. We've been providing, helping them provide yoga for three or four years now for the community. It's all free. And oh, we're trying wow. to do, we're trying to do more, right? We're trying to get more involved in in that neighborhood and what we can do to make a difference. And I still remain in contact with tops at least once a week to say, what else do you need? What do the, you know, what do the associates need? And just to stay in touch with them. It's got nothing to do with publicity or PR. It's all got to do with community. And Rich and I, when we took over the race, we said, we just want to do good. And there was a guy who wrote a book a few years later and it's called good is the new cool. Huh. Rich, it's something Rich and I have lived by since we took over this race. And, you know, we just, everybody follows us, right? Because it's hard not to be good. It really is. I mean, it's inspiring. And I do think that people are good. I think there's a lot of good people. I think we hear a lot of the bad stuff, but I love highlighting people like you and Rich and people that are doing the right things. And, I know that this is going to inspire other people and I want to keep it on a high note here. And I want to talk about tops and the shopper chopper pace car, <laughs> which was, I didn't know this was the first year for it, but I thought it was amazing. <laughs> that was the That's coolest thing. Okay, guys, I have to give you a visual here because this is a serious phenomenon. The Shopper Chopper is a 10-foot-tall street-legal shopping cart. So keep that in mind as you listen to the next few minutes. You know, that's one of those things where I am an instant gratification person. And it drives the board crazy. In some cases, it drives Rich crazy. Because a lot of ideas will come to me in the final weeks of preparation. And the last thing you can do is throw a wrench into the plans. <laughs> and I was talking to Kathleen from Tops, and we were talking about the Shopper Chopper, which had been at a couple of parades and stuff. And she said, this thing is phenomenal. And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. I wonder how that would be for a pace vehicle. <laughs> that is the <laughs> and, best idea. And she goes, the nice thing is that is not owned by Tops. He is from Pennsylvania and he travels around the country. And his brother-in-law used to own grocery stores in Pennsylvania, and that's why he built it. Oh. But Tops has, Tops has used it, and so we decided – I talked to Kathleen, and Kathleen said, you know what? We're going to bring this guy in. It wasn't in the budget. Tops funded it. They paid for his transportation. They paid for his hotel. They're a phenomenal sponsor. And I said, we're going to get some mileage out of this. This is going to be a lot of fun. And this was prior to the – to the shooting and they still decided we were going to do it. 
and I sent the website to Rich and I said, we had already had our final security meeting with the police. And I said to Rich, I said, okay, this is the idea. What do you think? Now I hadn't thought it all the way through, but Rich is a car guy. He really likes his cars. And I got back an email from him and all said, that's awesome. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I said, he said, let me check with the police. And we sent it to the police. And the captain said, that's awesome. I want to ride in it. And we were like, okay. So the shopper chopper was on and that's what we did. And it was the first time the shopper chopper had ever led a race. And, and it was good. Did it go? Did it go well? Everything was fine. Everything oh, went fine. Everything went fine. But I was talking to him before the race. He said, you know, I have to figure out the pace so I can put gas in it. I said, yeah. wait a second, you don't have enough gas to go 26 miles. And he said, well, no, I'm going to have to pull over and fill up the tank. And I was okay. like, okay, whatever. But it went great. People loved it. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have it back next year. It was a lot of fun. It was cool. It was it's definitely so unexpected. Yeah, it was definitely unique. That's for sure. I was like, what is that thing? And then the other, the other thing, which I know you've done, I, I don't know how long you've done it is the, uh, what's the, the Buffalo, uh, pup shoot. Ruff oh, the, the Ruffalo stampede. Ruffalo stampede. Yeah. How long Again, have you been doing that? Uh, the Ruffalo stampede we've been doing since I think 2018. I'm not sure of the year. The first year we were supposed to do it, my daughter was graduating from college and I had to be off site. And I said, there's no way we're doing this if I'm not here. <laughs> and so we held it off a year. And again, when you ask where the ideas come from, that is not that was not one of my ideas. I'm friends with Bart Yasso from Runner's World. Yeah. And he has a race series in or it used to be in Pennsylvania. He told me about this dog race that people go nuts for. And we put it in and people went nuts. And I remember calling Bart and I said, Bart, when you did your race, how many dogs do you have? And he said, 50, maybe 60. I said, really? I have 200. Oh <laughs> and it was the first year was really special because, again, about community, we had a tragic event happen once again in Buffalo where we lost an officer. He was a canine officer. And he died in a diving accident. He was also part of the search and uh, rescue team, the underwater search and rescue team. And he died in the Niagara River in October. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to figure, we always try to give back to the police and the fire because they do more than people realize. And it was a tragic experience. And what we ended up doing was sponsoring a canine in his honor. And the rough, the first Ruffalo paid for that canine. Huh. And that canine's name is Patty, who was actually named after another slain officer in Buffalo. <laughs> and Patty was actually working the race this year when you were there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, and we, the second year we sponsored one for Erie County and they are putting that dog into service this year. So that race is, that race is more than just about a couple of pups running around the area. We've done a lot with rescue with Tito's um and getting dogs rescued so it's been a lot of fun we've got something for everybody there's no doubt about it i mean there's something going on for everybody hey guys we're just about at the hour mark if you're still running keep going um and just a reminder we left off talking about the incredible community of buffalo and all the things that 
races do for the community and with community. And we're going to keep going on that subject. So enjoy. Well, um, Dave, Mc, Dave McGilvery came in and spoke at our, we had him in for our heart to heart race that we do for heart research. Cause whether you're aware of it or not, Dave is an incredible human being and He's got a book called The Last Pick that everybody should read, but he's also, I think it's triple or quadruple bypass surgery survivor. He has coronary disease. And Dave has run the Boston Marathon, I think it's 50 years in a row. Uh, and we had him in and he spoke at the pasta party and, and he actually stood up there and he said, I don't know how Greg and Rich do this, but I put on a marathon on a Monday afternoon. He said, these guys have got something going on every hour. And that's pretty much the way it runs. I mean, we have an event going off just about every 60 or 90 minutes. So it's crazy. It is. And it's, it's, uh, I didn't get to see the, uh, the kids, the toddler, you have a little toddler one. Well, we the have diaper in, da- the diaper dash. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of the, the diaper dash. The diaper dash, the diaper dash is one of my favorites. Again, not my idea. It was my daughter's idea. She called up and said, dad, you got to do this, this diaper dash. I said, what the heck is a diaper dash? And she said, you know, the kids crawl and do stuff. And I said, okay. And I said, I'll think about it. And then she called me and she told me she was pregnant. And I said, okay, Uh, that was three and a half years ago. And she, my first grandchild was born in November and I said, Meg, I don't care what you do, but you've got six months to teach that kid how to crawl because <laughs> there's going to be a diaper dash. And we have the diaper dash is 26.2 feet. The yes. carpeting is measured. It's a certified course <laughs> and the kids, the kids get their own medal and we give all the kids terry cloth bibs that are oh, race bibs. Stop it. Yeah. So they get their first race bib and they get a medal. So, oh, I love that, dude. And it's free. Oh, really? Oh, it's wow. sponsored. So yeah, it's sponsored by the hospital. And then we have the we have the three to eight year olds that run, which is always one of our favorites to watch the kids run. And what we did this year for the first time is we took we generally have about three hundred and fifty kids in that, which is we, they run in groups of eight and the parents go with them and it's always a lot of fun, but we took, they also get medals and big bags of swag from Dick Sporting Goods and, and tops. Again, it's a free event for the kids. We made bags up 150 or 180 bags and we took them to the hospital. So all the kids in the hospital in children's hospital here, uh, all got one of the swag bags and a medal. Oh, Wow. So that was the first year we did this, and I'm going to take credit for that idea, but I also wanted to hold races in the hallways, but they told me I couldn't do that. They said the the kids are sick is what I was told. (laughs) You know, they're in the hospital for a reason. I said, yeah, but it would be a lot of fun. I won't do fireworks. And they said... So, but the kids all got medals and I, we posted pictures on Facebook of the kids with the medals and they loved it. And it'll just be a mainstay. Now that'll be one of those things we'll do every year. Nice. We'll just take care of the kids in the hospital. There's so much going on. So many amazing things that you're doing with this race. And then bef- the, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the winner of the race this year, because that story is unbelievable. 
Um, Lucas, <clears throat> I don't know Lucas. I didn't know Lucas. Uh, he contacted us in February and said he was interested in trying to break the world record pushing a stroller. So I consulted with Rich because we have a no stroller policy and we decided having a world record set could be a lot of fun and we'll see if he could do it. So we let him run and we didn't even know he was there until my daughter called us, called me at mile six and said, hey, I just saw the guy with the stroller run by it's in fifth place. And he was flying and we were amazed. And when he came around the corner, I got a call that the leader was coming in, but nobody told me the leader had was pushing a stroller and he <laughs> came around the corner and lo and behold, he won the race by 16 seconds. It was incredible. I still think it's up to debate whether he won or Sutton won, but we'll give him the win since Sutton didn't really run. He just ate Cocoa Puffs. Uh, and they ran it in 233, which is a freaking amazing marathon time in itself. Yeah, I think it's 550 or something, 550 pace. And he actually, for some reason, he was a little delirious when we gave him the trophies. Uh, his was a little bigger than the trophy we gave yours, gave you. <laughs> and, um, he left it on the podium. When I went to do the the women's awards, I was like, what are these two trophies here? And the first and second place guy left their trophies there. Apparently, they must have thought they were for show and they were too nice to take. Yeah. So I ended up having to ship ship them. But because Lucas lives in Canada and it takes forever to ship things to Canada and it's extremely expensive, he was coming over the border to do some shopping and he picked his trophy up yesterday and we had it, we had his in person, his personalized with both his and Sutton's name on it. So he's oh. got a keepsake. I couldn't <laughs> decide. I was gonna have the plate changed so Sutton was first, right? Because Sutton really crossed the line first, but <laughs> I gave Lucas I gave Lucas the win. So he was pretty excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah, that I thought that was a really cool story. <laughs> As we've heard, Greg is a huge fan of Dave McGovray, the race director for the Boston Marathon. In our next few minutes, he's going to continue to talk about Dave and some of the incredible things that he does year after year. No, I, I don't know how Dave McGilvray does it at Boston. I really don't. I mean, he's run 50 Bostons in a row. He has? 50 Bostons in a row. He started when he was 17 and he's 67. And he's been the race director for about 30 years. He goes oh my back gosh, I didn't know he ran every one. He goes back to the start line at about three o'clock in the afternoon, three or four in the afternoon and runs the race. Oh my God, I did not know that. Yeah, this was his 50th anniversary. It was, uh, he's crazy. He runs his age on his birthday every year. Okay, I've and, heard of people doing that, which I think is insane, but yeah. And well, now he runs his, he does his age, but it's kind of a bike run thing. So he makes up his own rules. He lives by the motto of my game, my rules. So I like uh, it. But he is an incredible, yeah, he is an incredible testament to fortitude and raising money. And I I aspire to be like him when I grow up. <laughs> I um I just can't stop thinking about 2018 when that uh awful weather race with the the rain and the freezing rain and they like i can't imagine the decision to have that race because i really you know what I, you know the year i'm talking about yeah. uh when deslin and one i can't imagine how he had to make the decision whether 
that race should go on or not. Did you ever talk to him about that? They had, he's actually, he's, if you ever get the chance to listen to him speak, he's a, he's a fabulous speaker. And they talked about it because they had a lot of people with hypothermia that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the number, but they decided it was, they had the capabilities to take care of everybody and they made the decision to go. Cause you got to remember, you know, like Boston, they have 35,000 people that are there. Right. And it's got to be something it's got to be something really major to say, we're not going to let you run. And knowing the other thing you kind of know is if you say we're not going to run the race and, you know, in Buffalo, we have 30% of the people come in from out of town. If I made the decision, we weren't going to run the race. I would guess 25% or more of those people would still go out and run the race. They would still go out and run the course, even if we said no. And we had that problem during COVID when we postponed. And it was it was hot. It was hot on Memorial Day weekend. And we made a plea to the runners to not go out and run the course on Memorial Day weekend. They said, the you do not have, we are not going to be out there to support you. There's not going to be aid. There's not going to be medical support. You know, you're going to push the police to the limit. The last thing we need is to have a thousand people running through Buffalo and cause, you know, having problems because they wanted to run the marathon. Mm-hmm. And we had about a hundred people that went out and ran. I went out and rode the course on my bike just to see how busy it was. Um, but most of the people listened to us and, and abide it. I mean, it's an open street. Anybody can go out and run, but you put a thousand people out there just running and something's going to happen. Next, we're going to talk about teamwork and the effort and collaboration that goes into working with a city when you're putting on an event like a marathon. Rich, Rich and I work really hard to have a good relationship with the city. And you, I'm sure you noticed at the convention center, the convention center is under construction. Yeah. Uh, we were going to build a new const- convention center and they decided to just refurb the one we have. Well, the convention center is under construction. The street in front of the convention center is under construction. The main road that we run on is now under construction. And Rich was on, Got we got ourselves invited to this construction meeting that happens every Monday. And Rich was actually managing the city with three different construction companies that were doing construction at various points of the street. And we actually found out the week before the race that they were gonna mill Delaware, which is two and a half miles out, two and a half miles back. And then there's another section that you run about five miles of the race course. They were gonna mill it the week before the race. Oh my God. They're like, oh, and Rich was on the meeting and he said, wait, 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 wait. And I said, okay, we'll wait a week. So we, they've been very, the city has been, and the construction companies have been very good to work with us. Right. Uh, Cause they know we work with them. We're nice. We tried, they know it's coming. I mean, they dug big holes in our course. The week before we found those you know after we drive the course and then we'll drive oh. by and somebody will say what are you going to do about the big hole at this section of the road and i went what big hole they drove the course and i stopped a few years back and it was out in the park and i i pulled my car over to the side of the road and there were three guys standing there and i went walked up and i looked in the hole and it was about 40 feet deep oh my god and they were like can we help you and i looked down and i said this this hole is not going to be filled in by the weekend is it and they looked at me and went, oh, crap, the marathon this weekend, isn't it? 
And I said, yeah, I'm the race director. <laughs> and they Please. said, oh, it's not going to be filled in. We could have so waited till next week. Oh, and my gosh. Oh, man. But they they did what they could to widen up the road where we could. And they, they helped us. But since then, we've gotten on the appropriate meeting to try to prevent that. We stay in touch with the public people. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into this that people don't realize. There really is. This year, we got you know, under the, under the topic of, oh my God, we didn't see that coming. We had an email a week before the race and the, the guy lived out near the waterfront and they were having a wedding. Mm, I was, yeah, I was thinking events. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend and, and they were having an event and their, his son was getting married at the Curtis hotel and from where you stood, I don't know if you knew where the Curtis was, when you came out the front door of the Hyatt, as you walked to the start line, and as you walk along and you cross the block on Franklin where the finish line is, the Curtis is directly to your right. So basically the Curtis was an island between the start line and the full course and the finish line. And I mean, there was there was no traffic getting in there. And oh yeah, by the way, the wedding was at 9.30 Sunday morning. Oh, shoot. So it's not like it was Sunday afternoon. It was a 930 event. It's Sunday morning. And his 30 or 40 guests were staying at hotels that were all somehow landlocked by the race to get there. Had they walked, they would be fine. But, you know, it's a wedding. And, and to Rich's credit, Rich probably worked four or five or six hours on a plan to get those guests to the wedding. Wow. Really? Yeah. He, he didn't have to. He could have no. just he could have just said tough luck walk right but rich right. put together a plan and put together traffic ways that they should drive and gave them placards to get over and he explained to them you're going to be crossing over the race course you need to be patient you need to give us extra time they the the traffic people are aware they will look for you they will get you across but it's not like you're going to just get to the intersection and go Wow. And the family went out to their credit and they drove the entire plan beforehand and they said it looks like it'll work. And they sent us, they invited Rich to the wedding. Did they? Um, oh yeah, my they gosh. For a drink in the afternoon and they and they emailed us afterwards and they didn't have a lick of problems. The plan worked flawlessly, which is always nice to hear because all the plans don't always work flawlessly. Yeah, that uh, was a good that was that was one Rich gets major props for that. And you know, that's the way we operate. You know, we don't want to be, we know we're a disruption. Yeah. We know we're turning the city on its head, but you know, it's kind of, it's a community event. I mean, everybody has to work together. If you're still running, you're at an hour and 15 minutes. Actually, you're over an hour and 15 minutes. Next, we're going to talk about porta potties and water stops. I don't know about you, but water stops stress me the F out. Uh, You'll hear more as I talk to Greg about why. This year we had a woman call us, I don't know, two days, three days, four days, five days. She called us every day. She called City Hall every day because the porta potty company missed two porta potties. And they were in front of her house. Oh, oh, and oh. They oh. were out on the back, on the back half of the course in about mile 18. And for whatever reason, the company missed those two porta potties, and we kept calling them, saying, "Will you go pick them up?" And they said, "Yes, we'll go pick them up today." And then she'd call the next day, and we'd say, "Could you go pick them up?" And it, 
and everybody was kind of losing their mind because I would, I mean, I don't want porta potties in front of my house for, for days and days and days. And um, it took us like, I don't know, five or six days to get them picked up. By the time we got the company out there to pick, it's not like I could go pick them up. No, <laughs> no. I drove by to see if I could move them into the street and get them off her lawn. We pay, we offered to pay to have her lawn care done because she was oh. very pristine about her lawn, but yeah, she said, no, that's not necessary. So. Yeah, so that was, you know, every year they miss a couple. <laughs> every year they miss a couple for sure. So yeah, porta parties are important though. It's like a, it's a major. That's a real important thing. So you never have enough. Yeah, yeah. It Is doesn't there, matter how many you have. You always need more. I gotta go potty. Was it, is it, uh, so the water stops you do every two miles in Buffalo, right? Is that pretty standard? Every, um, I mean, a marathon? I, I don't know. I don't know that there's a, there's not a handbook that says you should be every two miles. Um, on the front, they're every two miles. On the back, they're every mile. So, oh, good. Yeah, good idea. So we have 18 or 19. We don't, we figured on the front, we talked about putting them every mile on the front. And then we said, People can run two miles, right? I mean, yeah, it's not necessary. Water stops stress me out sometimes, um, and that might sound weird, or maybe you know what I'm talking about. But like, it's just every time you come to water stop, it's kind of like, you know, there's people that are crossing over to get the water, and the I think two miles is good if it's every mile. I mean, I didn't notice on the back end that it was, but it it yeah, it gives me some like anxiety coming up to it because I know there's gonna be people that are merging over to get water. And then also in my head, I'm like, oh, that's a water stop. Should I get water because it's here? Or like, do I keep going? I it's always it always like they always stress me out a little bit. Well, um, my my thing with Iron Man is you can never drink enough water, right? And if you get to mile 18 and you pass the first 17 water stops, you're already in trouble. You're in trouble. Right? I mean, the water you're using at mile 18, you really ingested it mile six or seven. So, um, but the water stops are a problem. You know, if you, especially when we have a high degree of new runners, right? And water stop etiquette is always a problem. You know, people just stop because they think it's a water stop. They have to stop. Yeah. Uh, I and I never thought of it. My oldest daughter, when she ran her first half marathon, and we came to the first water stop, she said, "Dad, what am I supposed to do?" I said, "You're supposed to grab the cup and drink it and run." It was a concept that was foreign to her, and one that was not foreign. It's not foreign to you and me. It's just second nature, right? And but for her, and it made me think, right? And say, well, we should probably put instructions on you know what's expected at the water stops. Oh. I know a question I want to ask, Greg. This is something that I'm so glad I didn't forget to ask about. Cheating and how race directors deal with people who cut corners. What um have you ever had any uh any problems with athletes cheating? <laughs> of course. Really? Do you ever get the uh marathon investigator guy? Have you ever had to look into people? I don't know that we've had the marathon investigator guy, but we have mats out every 5K. And we have we have had it's generally somebody watching out for somebody else. The mat, the timing system will DQ somebody. I had a woman call me and say, here are my pictures 
I am not in the results. And I called the timer and he said, she didn't hit a mat after 20K. So she was automatically DQ'd. Now she never came back and said anything, but now could her chip have malfunctioned? Yeah, her chip could have malfunctioned without a doubt, but she hit every mat up to 20K. Yeah. A few years ago, we had we had a, a local woman and, and some of some of the people around here, believe it or not, are very competitive in their age groups and whether they're male or female. And this woman was running and another woman called her out and said she cut the course. And we looked at her time and because there wasn't a match, she wasn't DQ'd. But when we really looked closely at her time, she was like, she was running like 11 and a half minute miles for the first, it was an older woman and she was running like 11 and a half minute miles or 10 and a half minute miles, whatever they were. And all of a sudden she ran like an 810. And right. we were like, what? And, and we looked at the time and said, there's no way, you know, we looked at her 5k times. She, there was, she had never run that pace in another race. And yeah. we, we determined she cut the course. And then we don't know if she cut the course intentionally, or it was just her belief that that's where the turn was supposed to be. It, it was a turn. Like when you, when you come out of the Marina, and I don't know what you remember, you kind of come out of the Marina and you run past with the, the naval ships on your right and you hang a right and you go by where the arena, where the hockey team plays and you basically run around a big block and then come back up and make a left. Well, we believe that she was making a left there, mm -hmm. that she was just, she was getting there and she was believing that everybody else was going out to run the full and she was just going for the finish line. So that's how we kind of justified it. And she gave me a lot of grief and why would I do this? And then we looked at her times for the last four years. And sure enough, every time the same section of the course, you know, her mile pace would improve by like two minutes. But yeah, so we get every now and then we get people who we disqualify them. What about situations where people give their bib to someone else? How does that impact the race? And is it really cheating? It's that's a horrible that's that's a great point. You know, people who will some people they're not I don't believe they're doing it intentionally. I think that it's one of those things like in in that case, a woman can't run, so she gives her bib to her husband or her boyfriend. Yeah. And he gets out and runs. And they don't think anything of it, right? Mm -hmm. it's place in the results yeah and there are two there are two things and it, it's something where you know we'll disqualify people or ban people for doing that and we will but the problem and people say what's the problem right what's the big problem if i just come out and run or i banned it the race well one is we have five or six thousand people who paid for the right to run on the race course you are utilizing resources that they paid for, porta potties, water, Gatorade. If somebody gives you a bib that we are unaware of, you have not signed the waiver for our insurance policies if you fall down and hurt yourself on the street. So you're running, you know, you haven't signed the waiver for whatever purpose the waiver is, you know, good or bad, uh, depending upon your attorney. And then if you go down, so let's say you give me your bib, 
and I go out and run it for you and I go down and I'm out cold and I go into cardiac arrest, whose emergency contact information are they calling? Mm -hmm. They're going to call your husband. Right. Provided he wasn't the one running. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And then imagine that call or we're checking your medical condition against somebody who had a medical emergency on the course. And then there's the last piece they place in the age group. And this happened early on when we took over the race. A sister could not run or didn't want to run. And her brother took the bid. Mm -hmm. And he was like 15 and she was like 12. And it was the 5K. And he went out and won the age group for his sister. Oh, yeah. And promptly went up and took the award. Oh. And then they felt guilty about it. Mm -hmm. And they called me or emailed me, fessed up to what they did. And they asked me to get the award to the girl who rightfully deserved it. So they did something wrong. They felt guilty about it. And it became my problem to correct. But more beyond that, they took away whatever little glory the girl who actually won would have gotten by getting called up on stage and the second place person and the third place person and the girl who is now in fourth. They took all of that away from those people. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, people don't think. And I mean, I don't as they shouldn't. They don't understand what's involved in putting on a race. They don't understand there are ramifications to everything that happens during any event, regardless of what the event is. When people just think, you know, whether it's a race or they're going to cut the line at Disney or, you know, whatever they're going to do, right? They think they're beating the system, but, you know, the rules are in place for a reason. And in most cases, the rules are in place to keep people safe. Right. Right. If people and, and transferring a bib or something is is horrible right i mean my biggest fear is somebody has a medical problem mm -hmm. a few years back i got a call so people will without a doubt they buffalo is a good example this year on april 3rd we closed registration i knew i had to place orders for tumblers and i knew we were going to lock our numbers down we were telling people for weeks Registration is going to close five days, four days, three days, two days. You'd be amazed at the number of people who emailed me the day after registration closed and said, I had no idea registration was closing. Well, it's the day after we closed. So you knew it closed, <laughs> right? So how did you miss the first 14 emails? So people don't think. They just think they know better. They think we're just being mean. Are there other rules that you have that people question that, like, I don't know, that you can explain and be like? Uh, time course closures. Why do we close the course at a certain time? You know, a lot of that has to do with permits and when we have to get the city back open. Uh, no refund policies. Why do you not have a refund policy? Try to explain to people that from the time you put your money in, we're spending it. It's not like we spend it all on race day. Right. You know, we, we order stuff prior. We order, and you know, it goes to the sustainability of the organization. It's it's revenue, and why if everybody signed up and it says no refund, and the last question, it might even be a question on our registration. Do you understand? There's no refund, and everybody clicks yes. But the minute 
they can't run, they will ask for a refund. Most people are pretty good if you explain it to them. Um, All right, and what, okay, so usually I also have like a closing thought or something that you wanna leave people with or a reason why maybe running will help or a favorite quote. So do you have any final thoughts that you can leave? Final thoughts. Well, my my favorite, I mean, if you have people ask me what I always say, it's either I'm living the dream, which I always am. What does not kill you will make you stronger, without a doubt. But when it comes to running, it's not like riding a bike. You know, if you can walk, you can run. And it doesn't have to be fast. And it doesn't have to be long. But it's good for your health. And it's good for your heart. And um I encourage everybody to get out and do it. And don't worry about coming in first or last. Don't tell me you're so slow. It doesn't matter. You know, triathlon drives me crazy when I would see people and they'd say, oh, I'm only doing the sprint, the shorter distance for the marathon. People say, we're only doing the 5K. Well, I got news for you. There's 800 people or 900 people running the 5K, which are a lot different than the 250,000 people sitting at their couch on home on Saturday morning, right? They're out doing it doesn't matter if you're you're four or five or 55 or 65 or 75 um go out and run i mean it's a great way to meet people it's a great way to stay healthy and better yet it's a great way to see the city you know yeah. any city you're at what better way is there when you're traveling than to go out for a three or four mile run in an area to see what's around you Wow, guys, I hope you enjoyed learning about all the work that goes on behind the scenes of our races. On behalf of all of us runners, I just want to give a special thanks to Greg and all race directors, volunteers, and communities for doing what you do to keep us safe and supporting these events that bring us together. Good is the new cool. All right, guys, have an amazing day. Yeah, boy! Thanks for checking out another episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share the show if you enjoyed this content. Oh, and tag us on Instagram and Facebook so that we can thank you for helping us to grow and reach more people with the intention of providing hope to others through our community. Together, we can show others that running and our community will help. Have a great run, everybody. All right, guys, I don't know about you, but... I am beat. I cannot wait to go and take a shower and uh, get back to normal life. (laughs) That was a tough one today. Um, All right, guys. High five.
one of the participants. You be you should feel like an elite runner. You should feel like the entire race is there for you. If we can make that happen and make you feel that way, we're a success.